1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken, episode number two fifty nine, recorded February
0: fourteenth. Yes, it's Valentine's Day, twenty seventeen. Right. So today we're finishing off the last of the the manga issues that we had to read. Hmm. Had to. Well, we had to. We have to read every. Right. We, part you're right. You right. have to read all of them. But, uh, no, I enjoyed these. Uh, it's kind of sad that this is the last one. I kind of wish Tokyo Pop could have done more than these, these three original series and one next generation books. Right. I enjoyed them.
1: Yeah, I, I enjoy them, too. I mean, they're not absolutely my favorite, but it's, they're different. So it's got definitely a, a, a Japanese animation manga look to them. And I like them. I mean, usually, usually they have more stuff going on in them than you might expect. Uh, yeah, there's some meat to them,
0: right. And it's nice just to have, uh, you know, several stories in one in one book, right. Right. I, I'm a I'm a fan of the anthology. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, I mean, so you you get like what four or five stories per book. Some of them good, some of them not so good. But uh, <laughs> there's uh, something in there you'll probably like. Yeah. Something kind of like the waypoint. You know those those. IDW is kind of in that same vein where you have, right. you know, two stories per issue. Right. You know, sometimes they might take a little bit of liberties with it than uh, than you would expect. Yeah. So. So, anyway, so yeah, today's the last one. Uh, we're doing Orphans, which was the last book of this Shinshi Shinshi book, and Oban, which was the second to last story. Right. And um, I get to do Oban.
1: Which, uh, shall we begin? Uh, Yeah, let's do it. Let's do that. Okay, so this is a Shinzi Shinzi book, and it has a published date of September 2006. The creative team for the Oban story is Jim Alexander and Michael Shelfer. And then book-wide people that are involved are um, Lucius Riviera, lettering, cover design Christian Lounds, cover artist Actually, there's several different covers. Makato Nakashuka did the Diamond exclusive version. And Bettina Kurkowski did the uh, convention exclusive version. Editor, uh, Louis Reyes. Publisher, Mike Kiley. So the standard cover shows Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Uhura, and Sulu with very serious kick-butt looks on their face. Sulu and Spock have phasers out. And ready to fire. McCoy has a hypo in his hand and looking fairly burly. Ahura has her communicator out. Kirk is in the center looking overly buff and pointing to something decisively. The first alternate cover was created for Diamond Comics sales and shows Kirk yelling and running towards something with his phaser out. Spock is more calm and giving the Vulcan live long and prosper salute. A partial view of the Enterprise is behind and above the two characters. The second alternate cover was created for creation convention sales by Bettina Kurkowski, and it shows McCoy, Kirk, and Spock with the Enterprise saucer section behind them. Captain Kirk and the Enterprise crew are on a mission to transport an animal from planet Zenvia to the neighboring planet Zoxa. The two planets have recently ended a generations-long war, and as a gesture of peace, Zanvia's scientists have genetically engineered a living species of the Oban. This particular little critter was made extinct on Zoxa by the war. The symbolic gesture will hopefully end the carnage wrought on both worlds. Kirk and a landing party beam down to Zanvia, where they meet with Zanvian representatives that are humanoids with snake characteristics, such as their vertical slit eyes and very flat noses. Dr. McCoy reports his tests show the Oban is healthy and harmless, and damn cute. He will be a fine peace offering. They return to the ship and make preparations for departing to Zoksa. Scotty reports a near brawl between two of his men. Nerves are a little frayed since the much-deserved shore leave the crew was promised had to be canceled in favor of this mission. Kirk accepts an incoming transmission from Bala of Zoksa, who looks somewhat like a tiger with a nose ring. Bala gushes over the excitement his planet's people feel for the return of the Oban, which he describes as a most sacred of beasts. Balal asks how the captain is enjoying the weave that apparently Balal left in Kirk's care. Kirk says the crew digs it and makes a mental note to find the time to look at it himself. Later, Spock explains the weave is a screen that contains empathetically reactive microscopic creatures. They change color and patterns in reaction to the emotions of the person looking at it. Not much of a reaction when Spock looks at it, but when the troubled Kirk looks at it, swirling patterns of color emerge. Kirk admits to the pressure he is feeling with this important and tenuous peace they are trying to keep going and the crew's discontent. Kirk is called down to see the Oban, which is having a very positive effect on the crew. The Oban is a cute little cuss that reacts well to petting. Sort of a lizard version of a Tribble. McCoy says it emits subtle pheromones when petted. Kirk says he noticed and is feeling better already. One day out from Zoksa, and the Oban is having a positive effect on the crew. Dr. McCoy suggests everyone spend a little time with the cuddly creature. A male and female crew member visit the Oban, and after petting the Oban, they do a little petting of each other. They have a budding romance, and the Oban appears to be helping it along. The man is about to admit his true feelings about the lady, but first wants to show her the weave. He says when you look into the weave it reflects your inner feelings. When he looks into it, love is reflected, supposedly. When she looks into it, she does not see love, only friendship. The Oban had followed the couple into the room where the weave is on display. As the weave begins to reflect the dark emotions of rejection from the guy to the girl who just basically said, eh, just friend, the Oban is disappointed by the turn of events with the two humans. In fact, the Oban changes from a cute little turtle reptile into a big, nasty tentacle dragon. No, really, it, it really changes. Later, Kirk and Spock are in the Weave display room with the couple. The couple report the frightening transformation of the Oban's departure out of the room. Spock conjectures the transformation may have been triggered by the Weave. Security teams are sent out to find the Oban, and the rest of the crew is ordered to their quarters. The dragon form of the Oban kills at least four security officers and proves itself resistant to phaser fire. Spock is able to capture the creature using a force field. Safety is restored for now. Kirk needs to buy some time since the Oban is likely to not be the Oban the Zoksa are expecting. Kirk calls President Balal of Zoksa and tells him their arrival will be delayed due to engine problems. Though suspicious... Balal is not given the opportunity to query further as Kirk closes the channel. Later, in a briefing room, McCoy says the thing grew so large, uh, partially because its gut produces massive levels of bacteria and gas, so it blew itself up like a balloon, I guess. Spock theorizes it was the Oban being exposed to the Zoxian microbes that triggered its metamorphosis into the raging beast. Kirk theorizes the Oban was engineered to be a sleeper biological weapon, programmed to destroy anything with Zoxian genetic material, even microbes. Kirk states hatred between the two planets is alive and well. A Zanvian warship accosts the Enterprise, asking why the Oban is not delivered yet. Kirk tells them it will be delivered when Kirk wants it there, and not before. The Oban changes its form into a big expanding bag of air that threatens to break the force field and perhaps the structural integrity of the ship if it keeps expanding they have to get it off the ship so spock takes the weave and uses it as bait to get the monster down to the planet kirk follows with a full security detail their combined phaser fire has no effect on the obon that is now on its way to being godzilla sized Cut to the Enterprise, where Ensign Chekhov has been left inexplicably at the con, considering the likely presence of Scotty and Mr. Sulu. The Russian junior officer faces down aggressive communication broadcasts from the angry captain of the Zenvian ship. In response to the alien captain's demands to know when the Oban will be handed over, Chekhov tells him the Enterprise could destroy his ship five times over before his ship could scratch the Enterprise's shields. The bat-like Xenvian Captain cuts the comm channel. After losing many of his security detail, Kirk baits the creature to him by holding the weave high in the air. When it comes for the weave, Kirk sets his phaser to overload and affixes it to the bait. He and the survivors get away from it, but almost not far enough as the phaser's explosion detonates the massive amount of gas in the Oban's gut. A fireworks display of blazing Oban guts entertains the survivors. Back on the ship, an angry Captain Kirk asks Ohura to open a channel to the Zanvian ship. Kirk tells the Captain Marin that the Oban was engineered to destroy any indigenous life forms from Zoxa. Eight of Kirk's crew have died today due to he and his people's treachery. Kirk angrily and resolutely orders his gunner to lock phasers on the Zanvian ship. The Zanvian ship turns to get out of Dodge. Kirk tells Marin that his crewman died trying to keep the peace that he and his people have threatened. The Oban is destroyed. Let the war finally be over. Kirk out. Just as one channel is closed, a second one is opened. It's President Bilal. Who wants to discuss the incident? Kirk asks Uhura and the rest of the bridge crew to remind him in the future that if it is ever needed, why he doesn't allow pets on board his ship. Wah wah wah!
0: The end. He's screaming that. That is giant font coming out of the Enterprise itself. So if you were in space, you could hear those words. <laughs> They can't hear you scream,
1: but they can hear Kirk right. saying no pets.
0: No pets. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, long, long story to just have that, that line as the payoff. Yeah. Well, I kind of like the
1: movie, movie, movie macho uh, you know, fight between Kirk and Spock and a whole bunch of security guys that get chopped up against the Oban. That's pretty right. cool.
0: It was a good story. I mean the alien I mean it's basically an alien story. Alien being, you know, the creature on the ship just slicing and dicing and then instead of blowing it out the airlock like Ripley does, uh right. they beam it to the planet. Or maybe beam it out into space. Hey, that's what that he should have done. What that's
1: what, are you what he, that's the ultimate solution for any of these things. <laughs> just beam it out into space and don't reintegrate it. I mean didn't they do that to uh Moriarty or something, or... I don't know. Something in Next Gen. Um, anyway, whatever. So many things could be solved if they just beamed it out into space. Space it. Right.
0: So, all in all, what did you think of the story? Um, It was okay. It was kind of long. Um, I, th- I thought it was long, too. I-, I kept feeling like they were having the same conversation mm. uh, over and over again about, you know, here here's the... Mood ring. yeah. And, and, the weave, yeah. Yeah, and then here's this cute little animal, and then I was just like, okay, and then they talk about it again, and they talked about it again, and oh, now it's bad, but they're going to talk about it again. They explained to us what it was, yeah. and I was just like, okay, this could have been a few pages shorter. Yeah, could be.
1: So, um I thought the beginning, where Kirk is making the peace offering.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, to the Zanvian representatives, it kind of reminded me of the opening of
0: Star Trek Beyond. You think that's where the Beyond folks got it from? No, I I don't necessarily think that. It just reminds (laughs) me of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of, you know, uh, I think there was this episode of Enterprise where Archer had to do something similar to that too. Right. So, yeah. Nope, that was good. Uh, the artwork was a little hard to figure out who was who, I thought, because yeah. everybody looks like babies. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. babies, and they don't look like the original actors.
0: We don't know what the original actors look like as babies can. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yeah.
1: Yeah, everybody but looks was... incredibly young.
0: Right. Yeah, it always took me a minute anytime somebody was talking. I had to look at the shirt, and if it was a, if it was a white, sh- uh, a, you know, a, a clear shirt or a, uh, a slightly darker shirt, to just to figure out at least kind of get in the ballpark who was talking. Right. Yeah, Spock is pretty clear. That that's
1: you know you know who Spock is. Even though it isn't really good, doesn't really look like Nimoy, but it looks enough. Sure. But oh, then, uh, but then McCoy. I mean. Um, he's kind of hard to spot at times. And isn't he blonde also? I mean, didn't they draw him with, like, no no inking in the hair? Right.
0: Yeah, he, he and Kirk both seem to be blonde. Yeah. There's only so much you can do in a black and white book, so... I agree. I agree. It's hard to get
1: the... Couldn't you get gray, though? I mean, couldn't you just get something going? Not quite black? I don't know. The
0: whole, the whole book would be gray.
1: Yeah. So... Uh, um Okay, so this is the f- this is the first manga volume, is that right? That's correct. Interesting. So they were still figuring things out, I guess, with this book.
0: As far as what?
1: Well, about making these um, Star Trek uh, manga, manga books.
0: Well, I mean, as far as the art style, I mean, uh, it, it's in the same line as all the other books we've read. I mean, it seems like each each artist has their own take on it right is that what you mean the art style or the story itself
1: no i mean i mean this is the first time they're that i know of that they're adapting star trek stories into a manga style of uh storytelling sure and so the look of it how far do you go with the manga thing i mean is everybody turned into speed racer when something surprising happens you know <laughs> Uh, do all the monsters have to have tentacles? Sure. Uh, you know, how far do we go with the manga thing? Right. Yeah. And, and and some of the books go to different extremes. I mean, right,
0: right, which is why I like them. I I like yeah. that they're all in different styles. Right. You know, different. We don't artists. get any. We don't get any like painted ones. But uh, but you know, black and white line drawings pencil drawings yeah i like it so uh i got a question about just the logic of beaming down the creature to the planet that it wants to eat all biological things from that planet did that did that make sense at all because i kind of figured once it beamed down there it would just start eating everything since since the whole reason it turned into a monster was because it ate some you know, weave macro, micros or whatever those were. Uh, would, wouldn't it even go crazier once it had flora and fauna from the planet itself? To eat? I completely agree with that.
1: Also, though, they need to get it off the ship. Because apparently they can't figure out to just beam things into space. Again, I mean, that would be much better. But then the story would bend over really quick. Um, I guess that's why it grew so big
0: once they beamed it down.
1: Because it I, was... I think so. I think it, it, there was there was genetic material that it, that it reacts badly to all around it. And
0: that's that's why right, because the little, the
1: little guy never even ate the weave, right? He was just... No, eating. he was just in the presence of it.
0: That's right, that's right.
1: Hmm.
0: He picked up something from it, which was enough to uh, set it going nuts. Right. Yeah, I didn't understand it, but I did like to see a Godzilla monster, so... Yeah, like hey, yeah, yeah, we got like that. <laughs> you know. Um. Okay, so,
1: with Xanvian, uh, so they're the people that, you know, that that went ahead and genetically engineered this Oban, cute little monster. Right. Um, what was the game plan? So uh, they were that just thing.
0: go on the planet and start King Kong Godzillaing the well, whole. The okay. Whole so
1: how many people are you gonna kill?
0: All of them. Oh. All. <laughs> <laughs> it's a
1: planet. There's probably billions of people on it. At least millions. So what are you going to really do with this Godzilla guy?
0: Well, we don't know how big he would have gotten. If he would have gotten so big, he would have destroyed the Enterprise with his just mass. Then uh, who's to say he won't eat the whole planet? Oh, come now.
1: Oh, come. Planet eater. I don't think so. So you got this thing engineered. I mean, these people have been at war. Each of these planets have been at war. They obviously have weapons. Mm-hmm. So you know, just send a um, an F-14 down there with some missiles and just blow the heck out of it. I mean, so so maybe it kills a hundred people, a thousand people. Okay, fine, that's it. So you're gonna go through all this. You're at the brink of peace, and you're going to get the war going again by setting this thing down and get your get your jollies watching it kill, you know, a couple thousand people.
0: Yeah. It just seems dumb. Start the war back up.
1: It seems dumb. Well, they would be getting the war going again, that's for sure. So is this kind of like in Star Trek 6 when, you know, a small cabal of officers from both the Klingon side and the Federation side, Starfleet side, whatever, uh, get together to ruin the peace process? Is that is that what it is? Some little cabal of guys in the Zaxian or whatever? Or Zandian?
0: Yeah, good point. Maybe. I
1: don't know. Yeah, it no, just... it doesn't make sense. Nah, it uh, doesn't. I'm sorry, it doesn't. But, uh,
0: but, oh well. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a one-off. A little 30-page book that we'll never reference again in all of Expanded Universe. So, just got to go with it, man
1: cool cool <laughs> i will go with it yeah and that's fine i
0: just i, I just i just got to question what the whole point of that was so i think the point was so that we could have a cool godzilla like creature well, I, yes i agree with that part of it it's just hey sometimes you want the story to make sense but yeah it's fine that's fine yeah i agree it was fun well and he says a fun little romp you know they keep saying that only four people died but doesn't when he beams down, doesn't he say that everybody is injured and that there's ever there's more than just two casualties? Oh well, didn't uh, Kirk say that like
1: eight eight of the crewmen died or something?
0: Was it eight? Okay, I thought it was eight.
1: Yeah, eight eight of Kirk's crew has died today due to he and his people's treachery.
0: Right, but he says the Oban has decimated the landing party. The casualties of this encounter are now approaching double digits. Oh, approaching double digits. Oh, okay. And Eight they lost is close to 10. All right. Yeah. And they lost people
1: on the ship, too. So right. maybe maybe he's counting the people that died in the ship? I don't
0: know. It killed them. Anyway,
1: whatever. A lot of people died. There you go.
0: So we have a high body count. Just to show things are serious. Right. So when I was reading this, especially at the beginning when it was the the cute little guy and everybody's emotions were being affected by him, um, I was really getting a Bandai uh, flashback, which, if I'm not mistaken, was in the second book, um, the second of the manga graphic novels. Right. So that was Um, a teddy bear kind of guy. Right. The little teddy bear guy that was also part... I mean, it was also kind of a... um, it was kind of a retelling of one of those Peter Pan books, where the uh, the little guy, the little cat person that that, that weird looking morass had to soothe because he was also making everybody's emotions right uh, intensify. So, you know, I'm reading this, going, "Oh, is this another Bandai book?" And then I'm like, "Okay, well, this book did come out before Bandai, even though Bandai was a script for the original series that was just never made." Mm-hmm. So I was really having a hard time at the beginning with why we were going down this path for the third time uh, with a cute little guy affecting emotions. But then at least they turned it into a, a you know kaiju story at the end. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Thank God too. If that was
1: just going to be that little cute little Squirtle guy the whole time, forget about it.
0: Squirtle guy, nice nice reference. Yeah. Thank you. So I did like the couple where he was like, oh, I love you so much. Look, look at, the, uh, look at the, the weaves. It shows how much I love you. Mm-hmm. And she's like, mine just looks like I want to be your friend. <laughs> that was so funny. That was so funny. Come on. It, it was funny. It was funny. It was
1: almost like, how do you know what that weave is supposed to say to you? It's right. almost like she was like, oh, let me see. How can I get this across to him? Oh, I'll say the weave said it. <laughs> okay it's how i see is friendship oh that was great oh thank you thank you mary and i appreciate that you're just blaming it on the weave i know that's you i know it's you Anyway, he wasn't happy so what do you think about the aliens
0: the two um, people the two... one of them looks like uh like a dragon ball z type monster uh, oh is that what game? that is yeah, well, that's what he looked like to me—the the one that created the creature. Okay. And then the other one looked like a alligator guy, right? With a Yeah, right?
1: yeah. The other guy was like an alligator. A I lion. thought he was like like a lion kind of thing, but he was like somewhere in between because his snout definitely was not as long as a uh, as an alligator or a crocodile. Right. But it really wasn't. It was yeah. It wasn't quite an, uh, a lion either.
0: Right. Yeah, he looks scaly, so I, that's why I'm going more. Yeah. Yeah,
1: he does look a little bit, kind of, sort of like a lizard. Now, when I first saw the, the Zaxians, or Zanzians, whatever the hell they are, I thought they kind of looked like snakes. But then the captain, towards the end, that guy looks like a bat. He looks like a vampire oh, yeah. bat
0: guy. He looks like the National Enquirer's bat boy.
1: Oh, you're right. I think you're right. Only all grown up.
0: Right, this is, he grew up and captain the ship. Exactly. Oh, well, there you go. We, we should let the inquirer know. <sighs> Does that date us that we know that reference?
1: Um, he's not probably. still relevant, is it? I don't think it is. <laughs> Although you know, maybe it's still there. I don't know. Is that, is that still published?
0: Yeah, I was wondering that the other day because uh, I was, I was talking to my son about Bat Boy actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I was like, you know what? I don't I don't know if that magazine's even being published anymore.
1: We can hope it isn't.
0: <laughs> hey, that's some good reading right there. I
1: don't think it was ever good reading.
0: Well, since newspapers and magazines are having such a hard time staying in print, uh, I would be surprised if National Enquirer has lived this long.
1: Uh, yes. Yes. That is a publication that was really only appropriate for one purpose.
0: Uh, To line your birdcage with the next day? Oh, two. (laughs) What was the first one? (laughs) Oh,
1: something you might use paper products when you're seated,
0: maybe? Oh, yeah, 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 gotcha. Maybe. First you read it, then you use it? Yeah, yeah, something like that. (laughs) All right. Okay, I think that's really all I have to say about that one. Uh, yep. Yep, I don't think I have anything else. I-, I did think the explosion and the fireworks at the end were uh, a little much. But... <laughs> Especially when you know what it's made up of. <laughs> yeah, monster guts. Monster guts. Yeah, that's uh, funny. It's kind of gross. Well, the explosion... Okay, the mushroom cloud. All right, I'll buy it. But then when it was like all the different little fireworks all over the sky, I was like, "Eh, you're going a little too far there, buddy. Well, come on. Don't be a party pooper. All right. I'll try not to. Okay. All right. Shall we we go on to Orphans? What? The next story is entitled Orphans. Uh, The story was by Rob Tokar and the art by... E.J. Su. So it starts off with the Enterprise escorting an alien craft. Uh, this species is known as the L- Laria. And both craft are surrounded by giant mechs. These armored ships are actually shaped like humans and they boast swords and actual physical shields. And they have a blaster cannon on their back. So it looks very Robotech uh, Transformer-ish looking. Uh, We're informed that these uh, craft are piloted by people known as the Hakos. And the leader mech responds to the Enterprise's request to stand down by extending its hand and then raising a single finger. In the universal sign of disrespect. The Lorian craft fires on the ring of mech robots only to have the energy feed back to the Enterprise and the Lorian craft, damaging both of them. The mechs then start to attack the Enterprise and the Lorien ship, and they even go as far as stabbing one of the swords through the hull straight into the bridge. The Enterprise starts firing back, and then it reverses its polarity on the shields, which then forces all the mechs to tumble away into space. The Enterprise continues to fire phasers, hitting the leader of the robots and knocking it out. The others then return fire onto the Enterprise, and the explosions that hit the hull also seem to damage the leader's mech. The Enterprise then fires a photon torpedo, knocking out another one of the mechs, and all of the other robots flee uh, too. All the other robots flee to regroup. The two pilots of the down mechs are beamed to the Enterprise, one to sickbay and the other to the brig. The Lorian on board explains that the mechs are piloted by orphan children, who go around and bully the other planets and take whatever they want. Kirk then meets with the little kid that's in the brig. The boy is silent at first but then takes the bait when Kirk threatens to give the captured mech to the Lorians to become a fire, to become a farming robot. The boy then is quite chatty and Kirk takes him on a tour of the ship, which includes the hangar bay where the destroyed mech suit of the leader is being analyzed. The boy is shocked to see that they captured his leader and he demands to see her. Kirk tells the boy that she died in the second explosion caused when the mechs Return fire when she was already damaged. After seeing the, his leader's body, he is able to start seeing that there might be a better way to live. Perhaps peace is a possibility and not just a weakness. The mechs choose this time to return to the Enterprise. The boy requests that he be given back his mech suit and he will go out in the space and try to talk some sense into his people. Kirk agrees, much to Spock's and McCoy's dismay. Once in space, the boy tries to talk some sense to his people. They attack him, saying that he is weak. But he's able to beat all of them and prove the reason that he is number two of the group. Or now he's number one, because number one is now dead. Once they're all beaten, he returns to the Enterprise and removes the sword from the bridge. He then kneels on the hull of the Enterprise and offers the sword in surrender. The orphans are allowed to be adopted by Lorian families and to be raised with a different set of values than what they had of their own. In the end, the Enterprise leaves and McCoy comments that Kirk would have made a good father. Kirk thinks about the baby David and Carol who he has not seen in all these many years. The end. A nice little tie in there at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't mention it in the synopsis, but um, he does kind of talk about David at one point uh, during the. um, Oh, when he talks the kid. With the kid, yeah. 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 Or at least he talks about Carol. And then when the kid asks what happened to her, he's like, I have a new woman now. It's the Enterprise. (laughs) And the kid's like, ew, that's ookie. (laughs) (laughs) Justifiably so, I must say. Yeah, did not he actually refer to it as, as a female? I have a new female, the Enterprise. Yes, exactly. That's a weird way to put it. It is, but it's Kirk. There you go.
1: <laughs> somehow you'll find a uh, flesh and blood female here and there, Kirk.
0: Right. Uh, <laughs> it's not like the TARDIS, which can somehow turn into a flesh and blood creature uh, at least once. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was, that was a weird episode, wasn't it? What, Neil Gaiman wrote that one? Yeah, he did. Okay, so is did Kirk actually say he saw David in Zill? Somehow saw in Zill, you know, his son? Is that what he I said?
0: Guess. I don't think he actually says it. I thought he did. No, I don't think he did. I don't think he ever actually mentioned the baby. He just... I don't know. I might have
1: missed that part. Okay. Well, maybe it's... Uh, so is he actually... He's doing the father thing. He's doing the father thing, yeah. So this is kind of channeling what he might be feeling for David if he could
0: actually actually meet the kid. Right. That's what I got out of it. And then Kurt or then McCoy's little comment was just the knife in the back. The knife twisting the knife. Ouch. By saying, "Hey, you you should you could have been a good father." Mm-hmm. You ever thought about giving that a shot? <laughs> now i always thought that mccoy knew that david was his son um did you think that too or, or... i thought so so maybe sometime between now and star trek 2 he, he tells him about carol and david i mean they have plenty of time to talk about it in the future yeah but here i don't think mccoy is supposed to supposed to know otherwise he wouldn't have said that he's not that mean yeah well he could be mean But,
1: yeah, I don't think so. Not with Kirk. Right. Speaking more of their little conversation, uh, the kids, Zill and Kirk, uh, there's one point where Kirk told Zill he went to Starfleet Academy when he was Zill's age. Uh, Zill looks like he's about 12 years old. (laughs) Tops. Tops! Right, yeah. Um... But, to be fair, there are some panels where Kirk looks like maybe he is 16. Who knows?
0: Or 14.
1: <laughs> I don't know. But uh, definitely they did not look about the same age. No.
0: Sorry. Sorry. So that I thought that yes. was very odd. So Zill doesn't even come up to Kirk's shoulder. Right. Height-wise. So that's, right. that's pretty young. Yeah. Yeah, good point. I didn't even catch that. Yeah. Just
1: seemed odd. Odd bit of... Uh... Dialogue. Right. So a huge sword goes through the bridge's view screen.
0: Yeah, it does. Almost takes off Chekhov's head. Exactly.
1: It's like right there in both Sulu and Chekhov's face. It's like, what? Say what? I thought it was, uh, thought it was very over the top. And I thought it was kind of cool.
0: Yeah, it but, was actually pretty. But ridiculous. But <laughs> it, it kind of cool. Yeah, I like how Kirk says when he shows Zill, he even says that uh, they're having a hard time removing the sword. <laughs> and yet Zill does just walk over to the to the hole and and rips it out. So it's a lot of trust you're putting into your force fields to automatically snap into place the <sighs> second you pull something out like that. Exactly. I would have cleared the bridge first and then did it. Yeah, just to be on the
1: safe side. Right. Yeah. You don't want to uh, recreate a scene from Nemesis. Uh,
0: Nemesis? Yeah. Yes, the movie Nemesis. Enterprise E so. blows out the bridge. Okay. I was thinking Generations when, when Kirk gets knocked out of engineering with, in, into the Nexus.
1: Ah. Yeah. I was thinking Nemesis when in the battle they blow a chunk out of the enterprise bridge and people start flying off until right. they get the automatic
0: force fields in place. You know what? I never thought about it before but is that's the first one that had uh that had data jumping from ship to ship, right? At one point uh, I think it I think it I think it might have. Yeah, so they did that before uh, Star Pying? Trek in the darkness, yeah yeah, yeah, interesting,
1: yes, although this was more exciting, uh Star Trek in the darkness, right, I mean, there's a lot more stuff to get past, and they are human beings, not robots that could be repaired until, of course, data fired his phaser into the what it was that,
0: their warp core, I don't know, anyway, yeah, I don't remember, I need to re-watch that one. Even, it's not my it's probably my least favorite of the next generation ones just because it has so many questions that they don't answer yeah um
1: but they got Bane on there so you know that's worth it right
0: there right yeah she's on who's like 6 inches taller than Picard somehow and yet <laughs> looks just like him uh, not at all <laughs>
1: <laughs> let's see what What actor could pass off as uh, a clone of Patrick Stewart? Let's not pick him. Let's go with... uh, (laughs) What's his face?
0: Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy.
1: There you go. Tom Hardy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Too many questions. Anyways, let's talk about orphans. Okay. So, it looks ridiculous.
1: I mean, their, their outfit. I mean, the mechs that they use look right out of a video game.
0: Right, yeah. looks just like uh, Robotech. Okay, Robotech. Back I'm not familiar with that me. one. I, I never watched it either, but it was popular when I was a kid. Ah, cool. But yeah, so giant robots fighting each other with swords. Not the most practical uh, vehicle, but it works. Yeah, especially if you've got a cannon on your shoulder. Yeah, that seems to do a lot of damage. Yeah.
1: Why use the sword? Because it looks cool. <laughs> yeah. Especially when it goes to the view screen.
0: Right. So the whole idea of a mech versus, you know, a the Enterprise chip, ship, right, yeah. is, uh, man, it's too many moving parts to break. I mean, it even has fingers in order to do the universal gesture. <laughs> uh, that's That's a little much. Yeah. That's a lot of gears that need oil in every, every day or whatever mm-hmm. to, to get it all moving. And yet it's just one little kid inside. I don't believe it. Yeah, uh, what's the benefit
1: over a real ship? Even if you've had a fighter jet or something, you know, uh, you know, I, I an X-wing fighter or something. Aside from the coolness
0: factor, I don't see what.
1: Exactly. So yeah, granted, uh, cool and ridiculous. But, um, yeah, have fighters out there. You know. Anyway, I thought thought it looked pretty
0: over the top. That was one of the things I liked about Star Trek Beyond was the introduction of tiny little fighter craft versus a large lumbering starship. Right. Because I've always thought that, you know, TIE fighters could take out the Enterprise before it could, you know, fire that slow phaser. Onto all these tiny little ships, just blasting away at it. There's some some there's some logic to having smaller craft. Oh yeah,
1: oh yeah. Unless of course they're so small that they can't get past the shields, and you just pick them off as they come in and have their little tiny little lasers bounce off the shields. (laughs) I guess there's that.
0: I guess there's Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, so I guess it depends upon how powerful the ship is. Right. Well, as we saw in Beyond, uh, those little guys are quite tough.
1: Well, those are, those are really amazing little ships, aren't they? <laughs> so they can actually literally ram themselves into the hull of a ship and right. then back, back out again and keep going. Right. It's like, really? Through the, through the shields, through the
0: hull, through all exactly. the Exactly.
1: It um, is a little much. But, you know, that's
0: what made it exciting. Right. All right. What else do you have to say about this one? Because I actually am out. <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't have. Mm, let me see. Um, um, I guess just a general. Uh, no, I, I really don't have anything new to say. We've already criticized the uh, the artwork. So I'm fine.
0: Right,
1: and everybody looks like children. Right. So we already said that.
0: So I liked, I liked it. I liked the uh, the mech, and I even liked the storyline about teaching some kid that uh, you know being being nice to somebody is not a weakness. But uh, I thought the kid turned a little too quick.
1: Yes, I agree with that. Hundred percent. He's a yep. little tough as nails. Little little orphan way for whatever. Um, Trained to be a soldier kind of thing. Um, I get kind of like, what was that? There was a a movie with Kurt Russell where he was uh, raised to be a soldier or something. Taken away from his parents. Soldier? (laughs) That is the name of it.
0: I know. (laughs) That is the name
1: of it. (laughs) Anyway, it kind of reminded me of that.
0: Yeah, and have, after
1: going through that kind of initiation, um, would you really be that likely to turn into an "Oh, shucks, nice kid, come on"? Right. I don't think so. You've
0: talked you've talked me out of it, sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So all in all, I've enjoyed all these uh, these uh, manga books. I might actually seek out the Battlestar Galactica and the Ghostbusters uh, Tokyo Pop graphic novels they did, just to see how those how those play out. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I would mind seeing the
1: Battlestar Galactica one, being a big fan myself. Right. Hmm. Pretty sure it's based on the uh,
0: the rebooted continuity. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Please, please be based on the rebooted. I think the original... Oh, um, you had mentioned to me a few days ago Richard Hatch had passed on? Yeah. Pancreatic cancer, I think, right? Oh, really? Pancreatic. Oh, that's too bad. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's too bad. So, he never got to be in Exenar. Wasn't he supposed to be? Well, he wasn't. He's in the... The fundraising the trailer.
0: video, yeah.
1: Yeah. Or, yeah, the really long fundraising trailer. Oh, I don't know. I don't
0: know if they filmed his parts already or oh. if they were going to do it afterwards right huh. that's too bad yeah yeah I always I always liked him I mean he was in something that was very popular um not very popular but in yeah. geek culture popular um and then you know, we, you know he kind of took it upon himself to keep trying to make it relevant again you know, right he, he wrote some comic books um you know well before the new series started just to try to keep it out there and He tried for years to get it made back into a TV show. Yep. And then. He actually spent some of his
1: own money in some kind of a uh, video.
0: Right. Oh, yeah. um, They filmed like a little teaser. Like a. What do they call it? Um, Sizzle reel. A sizzle reel, huh? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you got to respect him that he, you know, he was trying to, you know, get it out there again. And then when it did get out there, instead of being all like, well, this is not my version. Uh, He he embraced it and and just wanted to be a part of of it. Yeah, that's good. a completely different character.
1: Yeah, exactly. They get a pretty good character. I I, I like the character. Bad guy. got to play the bad
0: guy. That's kind of cool. Right. But
1: a bad guy with Shades of Grey.
0: Right. Yeah, you always Um, kind of rooted for him, even though he was bad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: So you know how he first came to prominence, or do you? You're rather young. I do not. He replaced Michael Douglas on the streets of San Francisco. TV show.
0: Michael Douglas was in a TV show? <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, are you serious? Yeah, I didn't okay, know that. Okay, you're that young. Okay. Yeah, Michael Douglas first came to prominence, besides being Kirk Douglas' son, uh, when he starred with Carl Malden on the streets of San Francisco, uh, a Quinn Martin production. And uh, it was a good show, and Michael Douglas was very popular, you know, in the TV show. Mm-hmm. And then he went on to start doing movies, and they brought Richard Hatch in to take over uh, as being Carl Malden's partner.
0: So, did he play the same character, or was it? No, it, uh,
1: it was different. It was a different character. Okay. I'm okay. I'm pretty sure. Huh?
0: No, I did not know that.
1: Yes. I I have the theme playing in my head right now to the opening of the series. It was a good series, as I recall. I was pretty young when it was out, but I liked it. Anyway, enough of that. Sorry about Richard Hatch passing on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sad.
1: Yeah. So thanks okay. for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at First Name St. Comic, Second Name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.